Well, as was mentioned, Aaron spoke on Daniel in the lion's den last week, and uh, we saw how God provides and God delivers in that story. And of course, that's a common theme throughout Scripture. Uh, and in today's lesson, we're going to be looking again at how God provides and uh, how God uh, meets our needs, not only temporally, uh, but also eternally. But let's look at the people, the actors of, uh, of that day uh, with Jesus. Who, who was Jesus to the people of his day? First, we have John the Baptist, who at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he proclaimed that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, thus proclaiming that Jesus was a fulfillment of the Passover. We have the disciples, who were followers of Jesus Christ and called by him. He taught them and uh, ministered to them and was equipping them uh, to preach the gospel to the world. And then we also have the Pharisees, experts on the Old Covenant. They knew the law. They knew what the Old Testament scriptures taught. And yet when they saw Jesus, they called him a blasphemer, called him a liar, and wanted to put him to death. We also have King Herod, who up until this point, or just prior to this this story on the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, had beheaded John the Baptist. And he saw Jesus in his works and wondered what was going on. And then, of course, we have the common everyday people like us, people that saw Jesus come to their towns and villages, performing miracles and teaching of the kingdom of God. So what were their thoughts of Jesus? Some believed. Some wondered who could do these kinds of works. But nonetheless, they were amazed by it, because who wouldn't be, right? If we saw Jesus come to our town and perform miracles and uh, preach of the kingdom of God, teaching about himself, uh, we would be amazed by that as well. And then also, uh, we see that the people, uh, as we'll see in this passage, um, they knew enough about the Old Testament scriptures to see that Jesus was a fulfillment of uh, those prophecies. But yet they misinterpreted them. And they viewed him as an earthly king who was going to give them dominion on this earth. They missed the point that he was going to be their savior, as we'll see. So let's take a look here um, at what Jesus thought of himself. Despite what everybody else thought, Jesus refers to himself in this passage as the bread of life and promises that whoever comes to him will never go hungry and whoever believes in him will never go thirsty. So let's take a look at our memory verse. And for those of you who have never been here before, Excuse me. Um, we look at a verse, uh, a main verse related to the passage, and uh, we start the process of memorizing it together with the hopes that you'll continue to do so throughout the week and uh, so that you'll have it memorized. And, and as we talk about the passage this morning, you'll have an understanding of it so that it can minister to you, but also you can use it to minister to others. So let's take a look as we get into the story at some of the preceding events uh, that happened right before this is recorded in the four Gospels. First of all, it is recorded in all four Gospels. So that's very important. Uh, It's the only miracle other than Christ's resurrection uh, that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. We're going to be looking particularly at the Gospel of John today. I like that passage because not only does it uh, show the miracle, but it also uh, gives us a picture or shows us the interaction between Jesus and the people that were ministered to by that miracle. So it's a a beautiful uh, way that we see God provide, and we also see... um, how he interacts with them and, and teaches them more about himself, uh, truths that uh, are dear to behold and uh, uh, teach us of eternal salvation. And then we also see that uh, this is the beginning of Jesus' third year of ministry. 
And so uh, he's revealing more and more of himself about who he is, about how he's equal with the Father, about how uh, he's here to be the bread of life, the Savior of, of this world. And then also, uh, as he continues to teach more about himself, ultimately he reveals why he came to die on the cross, to be the perfect sacrifice. We also see that uh, just prior to this, that Jesus had sent the disciples out. And uh, it was their first missionary journey. And he sent them out in pairs. He gave them authority over evil spirits. Uh, He taught them to teach the people about repentance, about the kingdom of God. And uh, they performed miracles. They prayed for the people and anointed them with oil and healed them. So the disciples had just come back from that and uh, were returning to Jesus to tell him what they had done. But on their way, they also learned uh, that John the Baptist was beheaded. He was executed by King Herod. And so they went and gathered his body and uh, buried him. And then, like I said, they they went and returned to Jesus and told him about these things. We also uh, learn about King Herod. King Herod was looking for Jesus. He just killed John the Baptist. And then he heard about Jesus and performing all these miracles and all these works. And he's wondering, who is this? Some people told him that uh, he was Elijah or one of the prophets of old that had returned. Um. And some people even told him that he was John the Baptist reincarnated. And that's what King Herod believed. And so he was seeking Jesus. We don't know from the text what he planned to do when he sought Jesus, um, but uh, certainly he was seeking him, uh, thinking that he was John the Baptist reincarnated. And then in John's uh, gospel, we see just prior to this event uh, that Jesus was speaking with the Pharisees. We know that the Pharisees were angry at Jesus and wanted to put him to death because he healed a man on the Sabbath. And that was a violation of Sabbath law. Also, when they confronted Jesus about this, uh, Jesus said, I'm doing the work of my Father. And in so saying that, he was equating himself with God the Father. And of course, in their eyes, this is heresy. You can't do that. And so all the more, they were seeking to put him to death. But Jesus confronted their unbelief. Jesus uh, talked to them and said, you know the law of Moses. You know the Old Testament scriptures. And yet here I am, the one that fulfills all that the Old Testament talked about and prefigured, and yet you want to put me to death. And he goes on to confront them further and says, it's not I that accuse you, but Moses himself that accuses you, because you see his writings, you know it, and yet you deny me. And then as uh, we look at this text, um, we're going to see some themes that are revealed. We're going to see, first and foremost, that God provides. Again, not only for our temporal needs, but also for the ultimate need that we all have, to be reconciled to God the Father. And we'll see that Jesus Christ is the one who made this possible because he was that perfect sacrifice for us. We'll also see the theme of belief versus unbelief. As uh, we looked at the various, look at the various actors in the story, uh, some of them were followers of Jesus Christ. They believed in who he said he was. And there were, there were still others that uh, didn't yet believe and denied who he was. Um, but they were impressed by his miracles uh, and saw his signs and wonders, so they were following for those reasons. Similarly related to that, uh, we see the contrast between depending on self versus depending on God. And all of us, uh, as believers, um, we believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins, we're reconciled to the Father, uh, we have eternal life. So now the process goes on or begins that uh, we learn to trust God even more. We trust him for our most basic need, the most important need, but then we continue to grow in our understanding of him. 
We go from our natural state, which is self-reliance, right? When we're met with trials and circumstances or difficulties, where do we tend to turn first? In our immaturity, in our weakness, we turn to ourselves or we look at circumstances around us. We look to other people. And then at times we can even fret when we find that there's nothing that will resolve the matter for us. We become anxious. And if that carries on for too long, we become despondent and overly discouraged. But it shouldn't be for us as children of God. We have the Holy Spirit within us. We have the God uh, of all creation who promises uh, throughout all the, the scriptures, Old Testament and New, that he is our provider, that he, he is sufficient for all that we need. So there's no reason for us to, uh, to turn to ourselves or to continue to rely on our, ourselves. So see this theme that uh, throughout the Christian life, um, we grow in our dependence on God. And God is glorified in this. God loves it when we turn to him, when we depend upon him rather than on ourselves or circumstances or other people. So this is our calling as uh, we go throughout the Christian life. And then also we'll see in this story the heart of our Savior. We see uh, his goodness, his kindness, and how he ministers to those, uh, even to those who reject him. They like his works, but they don't want him for himself and the salvation that he provides. So we're going to see this as uh, uh, we go throughout this story. So let's open our Bibles to John chapter 6. And let's take a look at verses, uh, starting in verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy who here has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is, is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So let's take a look at some of the the major points of the story. We see that Jesus uh, saw the needs of the people, and in his his goodness, he provides for them. But before that, um, we see Jesus in another place. He was ministering to the people, performing miracles, and uh, teaching them of the kingdom of God. But he was overwhelmed. He didn't even have time to do the basic things like eating. And so he sought rest. And it kind of points to the picture that, yes, we're called by God to work and do ministry, but it's also good to get rest. We see Jesus doing that multiple times uh, in the Gospels. So it's good to get rest. So this is what Jesus wanted to do. He wanted to get away. We also see that uh, the disciples needed rest. 
Again, they had just completed their first missionary journey, traveling around the various villages and towns, um, teaching people repentance, praying for them and healing them and uh, casting out evil spirits. So they themselves needed rest. And we also see that with John the Baptist just being beheaded, while the passages don't give any indication of their emotional state, uh, we certainly can imagine uh, the grief that they must be experiencing. So all those things together, it was good for them to get away. And we hear that, uh, or we see that Jesus called them away to a desolate place, a place in the wilderness, a place far away from everyone and every, everything, uh, so that they could get some peace and quiet and some rest uh, from the various things they were involved in. We see then that the crowds, they were enthralled with Jesus because of the signs and wonders he was doing. They wanted to see more of it. So when they saw that they had left, uh, they eagerly uh, ran along the shoreline and in Mark's account, actually beat them to the location that they were arriving at. So the people just didn't have enough. They wanted more. Now, did the people want Christ for who he was? Did they want him as their, their Messiah that saves their soul from the penalty of their sin? No, we see in the text, uh, they wanted more signs and wonders. That's what they were interested in. They wanted the goods. Uh, they, they weren't interested in Jesus himself. But we see, even though that was their heart, uh, despite their unbelief, Jesus had compassion on them. Even though they were to the point of exhaustion and needing rest, even though they needed a break from all the activities that they were doing, when the crowd came to Jesus, uh, he showed compassion to them. In Luke's account, he says they wel- he welcomed them. That's a good God, a good and faithful God. And it also shows for us, too, as we, we do uh, ministry with uh, uh, people we interact with and those kinds of uh, uh, interactions when we minister to people and people minister to us, when we're exhausted, uh, has God ever given you grace to have the strength to do that? Absolutely. So we see, again, how uh, God provides for us, and uh, it's modeled for us in Jesus. as uh, Despite the need for rest, uh, he has compassion on the people. We also see here the hearts of the disciples. They had compassion too, right? They saw the needs of the people and went to Jesus and said, look, uh, it's late in the day, but still early enough that if we send them away uh, to the far-reaching villages, they can still get food and maybe a place to stay. And so they had compassion, but they weren't thinking about the power of God. They didn't go to Jesus and say, hey, there's no resources here. We're in a desolate place. We're in the wilderness. Um, Jesus, what can you do? They didn't do that. They just relied on what they saw before them, on their own strength, on their own physical resources. And so how does Jesus respond to this? Well, he tests them. We see Jesus do this multiple times. He tests us. And why does he do it? To shame us? To point out our unbelief uh, in a way that uh, um, rejects us or makes us look foolish? No, he tests us to grow our faith. He tests us to see how faithful a provider he is, how uh, he gives us all that we need. And so he tests them um, to, to build their faith and teach them more about his, uh, his, his amazing power, uh, as we'll see in this miracle. So as he tests them, he says, uh, we need to go and buy some bread for these people. And Philip, again, pointing out or, or showing that uh, he's, he's not looking to God uh, to depend on him to have uh, their needs satisfied, uh, quickly says, look, we only, you know, 200 denarii wouldn't be enough to feed these people just a little, just an appetizer. 
And to put perspective on that, a denarius was a typical day's wage for a laborer in those days. So 200 denarii is, is over a half a year's salary or wages for a, a laborer in those days. And who would spend that much money just for one meal, right? Um, but all the more, it wouldn't even be enough to, to give them just barely an appetizer or just barely feed them. And then, of course, Andrew, he, he chimes in and says that, uh, well, there's five, bre- uh, there's five loaves of bread and two fish that this little boy has, but what's that for so many people? How is that going to take care of their needs? So again, we see the theme here of while they had compassion, they were still being self-reliant and looking on on, uh, circumstances before them. So Jesus, in his goodness then, he tells them all to to have the people sit down. And he has them sit down in 50s and 100s. And uh, after all the people are organized and sat down, Jesus stands up and he breaks the bread and blesses it. And then he gives it to the disciples uh, to then disperse amongst the people. And we can only imagine what that looked like, five loaves and two fish, and yet 5,000 people. Mind you, the the number 5,000 referred only to the men. So there were women and children there as well, and we don't know to what number they were there. Um, So there were at least 5,000 people. And that's a lot of people to feed at one sitting. And mind you, uh, again, they they were in the wilderness. They were in a desolate place. So there wasn't a marketplace close by that they could go to. There wasn't any natural resources or anything that they could uh, gather up to be fed. So this was purely uh, the provision of God at a time and a place when it seemed like there was no hope. And so Jesus performs this miracle, and the people are fed. And not only are they fed, they're fed to their fill as much as they wanted. As some of the gospel accounts say, they were satisfied They ate and they were satisfied. So God uh, shows his goodness again as he provides. uh, He doesn't provide just a little or just barely enough. He provides more than you need. He's a good and faithful God. The picture that this this paints here for us um, as Jesus breaks the bread and gives it to the people, uh, this symbolizes uh, what Jesus did on the cross. His body is the bread, broken for you and me, right? He was broken on the cross. He suffered, was tortured, and then died on the cross. And he gave us the bread. He gave us his life in our place. Because we have no hope in and of ourselves. We don't have the ability, uh, the wherewithal, um, to reconcile ourselves to God. We can't redeem ourselves. And God in his goodness, as we see throughout Scripture, uh, he keeps teaching us, Um, that we need him. And he keeps teaching us that he is a good and faithful provider. He cares about every need that we have. And in this case, we see uh, he cared about them to to give them the food that they needed um, to sustain them throughout that day. But let's take a look now. Like I said, this is an amazing miracle um, of how God provides, how Jesus turned five loaves and two fish into enough food to feed 5,000 plus people. What I think is interesting about John is that now we get to see Jesus' interaction um, with the people who received this miracle. So let's open our Bibles again to John chapter 6 and see what that conversation looked like. We'll start in verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. 
So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which is the su- <clears throat> excuse me, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Now look at how, how they respond to him. He's telling them to seek uh, himself so that they can have eternal life, not just to seek after the temporary means, the miracles that Jesus uh, had performed before them. So this is what they said. Again, an earthly-minded, self-reliant perspective. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, and look how he turns this around, to turn it from self-reliance into reliance on God. He says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So see how he turns this around. And it's a, a beautiful picture of we're not to rely on ourselves, not for anything, especially salvation. We can't earn God's, God's favor at all. Um, so Jesus is pointing out here and uh, correcting them and helping them to understand that so that they'll believe rightly uh, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through him, as we'll see in other passages here. But, uh, but yeah, so he's calling them not to tr- rely on their own works, but to rely on the work of God. So here's their response. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're referencing the passage in Exodus 16 um, where God faithfully provided for the Israelites when they too were in the wilderness, a desolate place without resources. And how does Jesus respond to this? He says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. So here we see Jesus explaining um, the miracle that God performed uh, with the manna that he provided for the Israelites in relation to the story here that we see of Jesus performing this miracle of feeding of the 5,000, that it's symbolic or points to a perfect uh, fulfillment in Christ. John here, in what uh, theologians call typology, is passages in the Old Testament, um, and God in his perfect wisdom planned this, Uh, passages in the Old Testament prefigure the perfect fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So the story of the manna uh, being given to the Israelites is a picture of the bread from heaven, that is Jesus Christ, that if we believe in him, we'll be saved. So let's look at some of the similarities. On Exodus 16, verses John 6, um, Israel was in the wilderness of sin. uh, Remember, they were just delivered from Egypt, from the bondage of slavery, which gives us a picture, too, of being delivered from our sinful nature, right? Delivered from condemnation. So he delivers them from Egypt, brings them through the Red Sea. They saw the amazing miracle uh, where they crossed the Red Sea and ultimately are freed from uh, being chased by the Egyptians. And now they're in the wilderness of sin. Again, it was a desolate place. There was no resources, no marketplace, no local villages they could go to to get food. And God, in his faithful provision, uh, provides manna for them. 
It appeared every morning, uh, a frost-like substance, and uh, the taste was like wafers made with honey. And this was their food every morning for the whole time of their exodus, the 40 years in the wilderness. So God faithfully provided for them in that regard. And not only, not only did he provide for them, um, he provided some, them food that tasted like honey, right? How many people like honey? Is it good? Yeah, it's very good. So God faithfully provided that. And uh, it again, paints the picture that not only is God a good provider, but he gives us what we need, and it's good. It's not something that's bland or lame or, or something that just barely sustains us, but it's, it's richly uh, a blessing to us. So we see this picture. Uh, likewise, um, when the crowds had followed Jesus into a desolate place, they too were in the wilderness, a desolate place, no resources, nothing. So who did they have to rely on? As we recall from the story, in relying on themselves, they realized they had nothing. And uh, the disciples wanted to send the people away uh, to rely on other people. Um, so in that situation, uh, we're taught the only way that we can uh, come through that is to rely on God. And so that's one of the main lessons here. Um, and while physically food uh, satisfies us temporarily, right, the manna in the wilderness as well as uh, the feeding of the 5,000, it temporarily fed them, but it points to the eternal food that we have in Jesus Christ. That when we believe in him, not only do we have eternal life, but we have satisfaction for our souls. Because that's what we're made for, is to know God. And that's the one, uh, knowing him is the only thing that is going to satisfy our souls and all its longings. So what do these events point to? Um, the symbolism here is that the bread is Jesus, Right? And eating of the bread is the same as believing. And we see this picture throughout uh, Scripture that um, uh, various authors had written that uh, believing in God was likened unto good food, right? And we'll look at some passages that, that speak to that. Uh, it's, it's faith. It's meditating in God's Word. And uh, as you eat it, you're satisfied. Just like we're satisfied when we have fellowship with God, when we know Him more and we see His faithfulness. So just like eating gives us physical satisfaction that pres preserves us from physical death, so believing on the work of God gives spiritual satisfaction that saves us from eternal spiritual death. Or to put it another way, uh, Jesus is the bread that comes down from heaven, the true bread that when consumed, as it were, by faith, gives life to the soul. So in light of these divine truths, what are we to do? Well, first and foremost, we should believe some of you here um, might not know God. Some of you might be coming, a place, uh, be coming from a place of disbelief, um, or maybe the, the Christian faith um, just looks foolish, and you come to church because your parents or family make you, that kind of thing. Um, I'm sure, I know I've been in that place myself, and, and maybe others of you have. Um, but yeah, you really don't know why you would need God and why you'd need to come to church uh, and, and fellowship with other believers, uh, why you need to call uh, out to God for help, uh, for forgiveness, uh, and, and seek redemption through him. Well, it's the way God made it. God wanted to show to, show to us that uh, he is the all-sustaining uh, one that, that satisfies all of our needs, spiritually and physically and otherwise. So if you're in a place right now where you don't know God, I hope and pray that you will see your need for God. I pray that the Holy Spirit will give you wisdom and discernment uh, to see that you need to be reconciled to God. 
And that while you may be seeking the things of this world uh, for your satisfaction, um, they'll only frustrate. They'll only promote your arrogance and uh, a deception of self-reliance. So may God uh, uh, change your hearts and your minds uh, to know him and to trust him. For those of us who are already believers, that's uh, an encouragement to grow in our faith. Because how many of us perfectly call on God every time we're in a dark, uh, dark situation or a trial or, or difficulty? Does anybody do that? No. Just one? <laughs> um, so yeah, that's part of the process of discipleship. That's part of the process of, of growing in our knowledge of God, our fellowship with him, is that we learn to trust him more. And so that's our calling, uh, is to, to grow in our knowledge of him, um, uh, to depend on him. Uh, secondly, and related to it, is depend on God like you depend on food, right? Because we don't really think about it. When we're hungry, we eat. We don't have to... Uh, uh, think too hard about it. In fact, we're blessed such that it, it becomes a matter of what do we want to eat, right? Do we want steak? Um, do we want a bowl of cereal? Um, chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream? We have options. We're blessed. Uh, so might we depend on God like we depend on food? Because none of us sits at the kitchen table with a, a refrigerator or a pantry full of food and then frets about, oh, what, if, uh, what if it's not there when I open the door? Or... Uh, what if I don't like it? Um, or what if I eat it and I'm still hungry? What am I going to do? We don't waste our time with that kind of thing because we know. We, can, we have confidence that whatever we eat, it's going to be good. All right? We should look at God like this. Because sadly, in our weakness, uh, when we're faced with trials or needs in various circumstances like that, um, our natural tendency is to rely on ourselves. And of course, without having what we need, uh, naturally we become anxious. Or we fret. We get angry. Um, we turn to other people or other things to satisfy us rather than turning to God. And so we might we learn to depend on God like we depend on food. And then remember this. God provides in all circumstances. That's why I love reading through the Psalms because uh, the psalmists have, have been through just about every circumstance uh, uh, in life that we all go through. Even worse. And yet we see a growing dependence on God. We see a rejoicing in the Lord um, that he provides, that he answered their prayer in their time of need. And so we can have a growing confidence as we study God's word, as we meditate upon it, as we eat of it, um, that God provides in all circumstances for physical and spiritual needs. Uh, the psalmist writes in Psalm thirty-seven twenty-five, I was young and am now old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. So we see among the community of believers, uh, one of the things we can do to minister to one another is uh, when we see each other having need, we should generously provide. That's how part of that, that promise is partly fulfilled, is that God uses us to provide for each other. And of course, God provides richly for our needs, right? Even in hard times, we can learn to, to be content because God will always give us what we need. Also for spiritual needs. If we have any need for the grace of God regarding overcoming temptation or uh, um, going through difficult trials or times in, times in our life, um, God graciously provides. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What beautiful words. What a beautiful promise. Not only can we come to God, 
But we don't need to come sheepishly or uh, wondering if he's going to reject us. We can come with confidence, um, boldly before his throne, asking for grace. And the wording there in the time of need is in those immediate moments. God will give us grace. So not two days from now, but right in those moments where you're in dire straits or in dire need, uh, God provides the grace uh, to overcome so that we can be overcomers and uh, to walk in obedience to him. And lastly, I want to point out um, or highlight the point that when they ate, they ate to their fill as much as they wanted and they were satisfied. That's so important. Again, it just points to the goodness of God um, that when we turn to him, when we trust in him, and rely on his provision, not on our own. Not only does he provide, but he provides to the point that we're satisfied for physical needs and spiritual needs. So let's take a look at a couple of passages that speak to that. So if you'll open your Bibles to Psalm 63, and we'll see what the psalmist has to say. Um, again, this is, uh, paints the picture of eating food. And it's likened unto uh, knowing God and the satisfaction that that brings. So look at this. A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Again, a desolate place when he had nothing to provide for himself. And so he relies on God. And this is the result. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I'll bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. And here's the key verse. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. And when will he be satisfied? Look at the next verse here. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. So when the psalmist recounts God's faithfulness, his goodness, um, when, when God fulfills his promises to him, that's when he's satisfied. Not only for uh, rejoicing in past circumstances, but having the confidence to rely on God in the future, that he will again be faithful. So he can, with confidence, uh, uh, go further throughout life, knowing that God will provide for all of his needs and take care of him uh, physically, spiritually, uh, in all circumstances. So we see here the idea that it's good to depend on God. And the importance of, uh, as we'll talk about with the connection card, it's good to take note of these things. It's good to, I don't know if you journal or, or any way you record things, but record God's faithfulness to you, specifically how he's answered prayers, uh, how he's kept his promises to you. Because in our weakness, the next time we face a trial or a difficult circumstance, we might not necessarily uh, draw near to God right away, right? We might, we might quickly go to our own uh, resolve and thereby become anxious and fretful um, and even despondent. So write those things so you can remind yourself specifically how God has been faithful. And then we're going to see, uh, as I talked about this, this process of going from self-dependence to dependence on God, we're going to see this growth in, in the psalmist, David. So turn over to Psalm 131. And look what he records here. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occup occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. 
But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And think of the illustration there, an infant. Completely dependent on his mother. There's nothing an infant can do for themselves. And that's like us. We are completely dependent on God in that way. We might deceive ourselves into thinking that we can do uh, or rely on ourselves. But truthfully, even the things we accomplish in this world, even as unbelievers, is because of the goodness and grace of God. So we're likened unto an infant, completely dependent on God. And here uh, we see a change with the psalmist. He's starting to realize it, right? He goes from being reliant upon himself uh, to being reliant upon God and just being satisfied with that because that's true satisfaction right there. And the picture here of a child being weaned, um, a child going from being accustomed to his mother's milk to being accustomed to other food. And it paints the picture, again, um, where David was accustomed to relying on himself or things or idols or what have you to being accustomed on God, uh, to depend on God. And so we see this change in him. And not only does uh, um, he change in his, the way he depends on God versus himself, but we also see that he loves God for who he is, not for what God can do, Right? That's the aim, to love God for who he is, not just because of what he can give to you. So that's, that's moving along to, towards spiritual maturity, reliance upon God, and a worshipful heart too. The more you know him, the more you want to rejoice in him and praise him and uh, enjoy having fellowship uh, with God and his word, with other believers. Um, worship songs mean something more uh, when you come together um, as believers and uh, sing praises to him. So, might God do this mighty work in our hearts. Might God take us from self-dependence to a growing dependence upon him. And might God give us grace to remember what he's done for us, not only to minister to our own hearts, but to encourage one another, as we're called to do that, encourage one another to loving good deeds. So, might God uh, work in our hearts mightily to do this, and uh, to turn away from selfish living uh, to godly living. So I'm going to uh, close in prayer in here in a minute. Um, But before I do that, I want to take a look at our connection card. I think homework is a good idea. Um, I know for me, if I don't have homework, it's easy to just walk away and and not even uh, consider um, things. So it's good to to have homework to um, revive the things that we learn from God's Word. So the first one, obviously, is to memorize John 6.35. I'd encourage you to do that, especially to understand what the, that verse is talking about and what it, what it signifies, that Jesus is the bread of life. Secondly, I'd say read John chapter 6 and study that for yourselves and see, uh, see what God teaches you in that passage and about his faithfulness and uh, uh, the importance of believing in him for who he says he is. And then, as I mentioned, keep a record of, God, of how God has provided for you in difficult times, in good times, uh, remember those things and keep them precious uh, and dear to your heart um, because God is good and it's good, good to remember his faithfulness. And then again, depend on God like you depend on food. Really think about that. Really think about what it means to depend on him. And uh, just like you mindlessly eat food to satisfy your hunger, um, might it become a natural response uh, to, to draw near to God and to cast your cares on him and to fellowship with him Um, Like Enoch, we read, he was described as one who walked with God. 
That's not in the scriptures to be some lofty ideal that we could never attain. We're called to walk with God. We're called to know him. So might God uh, give us help uh, through his Holy Spirit that that would become a pattern of our lives, a pattern of faithfulness. So let me close in a word of prayer, and then uh, we'll come together and and sing one more song of praise to God and uh, rejoice in him together. So Father, we thank you again for our time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit uh, that makes it come alive to us. So Lord, put these things in our heart that going away from here, we would all um, just rejoice in the knowledge of your truth, that you would teach us to depend on you and like a weaned child to be satisfied in you, to delight in knowing you, not just in the good things that you provide, but to delight in knowing you. So Father, bless us in this way. And Lord, might we go from here and uh, seek ways to be an encouragement and a blessing to each other, to share words of encouragement of what you're doing in our lives. So God, work mightily in us. And uh, might we just rejoice in the fruit um, that will be born of uh, the work of your Holy Spirit in us. We praise you, Father, and we bring all these requests before you. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen.